Hello Balloon Artist Podcast Nation, what's up? Zivi Kivi here and welcome to Season 8, Chapter 4. Today is an interview with a friend, Mark Fekert. This interview was so awesome to do. Thank you so much for it and I'm sure that you will like it, guys. Enjoy! Take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. This is Zivi Kibi, and we are in Season 8, where we are visiting the veterans. We talk with the people that are actually into the balloon world for more than 10 years. And the guy that I'm interviewing today, I had such a pleasure not only to meet him and to go into all sorts of convention with him, but also to actually experiment and jam and learn new stuff and even share a room like with multiple conventions. So hello, Mark Fakert, also known as Marvelous Mark. What's up, Mark? Hi, Zivi. Glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you. You're 10 years into this journey, even a bit more of balloons. Tell me how you've started with balloons. It was mostly accident. And I tell everybody it was my wife's fault because she opened her big mouth. <laughs> and she still chuckles at that. The way it happened is I had a little kit that she had bought for my daughter's third birthday. She couldn't handle it. So I did a few little things with, you know, those Walmart kits that uh, don't have very good balloons and a crappy pump and stuff. But then a couple of years later at a birthday party our kids went to, somebody was blowing up a bunch of uh, twisting balloons. And I went up to him and said, don't blow them up all the way if you plan to do something with them. All of a sudden they said, wow, you know something about this. And before I could say just a little, my wife was in there saying, sure, yeah, and he can do a dog and he can make a flower and he can do this and that. And I'm saying, shush, wait, I'm not ready. <laughs> but they had a book of designs there, one of those simple Qualitex balloon books with the single balloon designs. And for the first time in my life, art was easy. My hands picked it up. My brain wrapped around how everything got put together. And I went away screaming in delight that I finally found a hobby. That's funny. Your day-to-day -day job, you're a pretty serious guy that handles data and formulas and numbers. And tell us a little bit. I am a linguist academically. And so I love playing around with and studying languages where I can. And yes, I work in, I meld that with IT and work with a company that sets up some natural language and semantic dictionaries and, and programs that can help large corporations actually take their documents and data and make them more meaningful and findable and whatever else they want to do with them. And it's neat, but not nearly as much fun as getting into the balloons. So what is it in the balloons that got you hooked? When I was a child, I always, the few times that I saw somebody as a balloon artist, I was always fascinated by it. I never once said, I'm going to do that someday, but I always got a kick out of it. It was really neat. And I saw some pretty ornate stuff, even back in the days when one balloon items were more of the norm. You know me, Zibby. I'm, I'm an outgoing kind of guy. I love knowing people. I love getting to know people. And so once... I discovered I could do this. One, I'd finally found an artistic outlet, which I'd never had before. I'm not 
an artsy kind of person, except maybe in some music that I've done with choirs and a high school band. And I love being with kids. I love being with all people, but there's something special about those little ones. I've got six of my own. And so, as you can tell, I like them enough to have them. I like being with them. And so the, probably the most special thing for me is just from anybody of any age, taking what I give them and just saying, wow, that is so neat. How did you do that? I really relate to that personally. It's a little bit weird. I mean, for me, like as a 40-year-old dude to say, I really like talking with kids. Like it's not something that, that is, sometimes it feels for me like, how can you explain what does that mean? without sounding a little bit creepy? I don't know about that, really, because I think what most of us forget is that children are just budding adults. They are not really any different from us. They're at different stages of life and learning, but you can talk with them and interact with them in much of the same way that you do with just about anyone. And I think we rob ourselves in some ways when we somehow consider them to be something different from what we are. We consider them to be, I won't say not human per se, but we don't, since we separate them from the adults, we tend to think of them as something different entirely, and they're not. They're one of us. They're people, and we need to always treat them as such. Of course, little people. That's how I, I love calling them. So inside the balloon journey that you've had in the 10 years, did you find any difference in your skills in the way that you do balloons? throughout the years? Can you identify some of the things that happened? I took to it very, very quickly in terms of the mechanical skills. I learned how the twists were done, how they got put together, and just kept watching library videos, YouTube videos, reading books. And so I was doing stuff that I think most people would consider a little beyond the beginner norm within the first month or two that I started. But even since then, I had no real creativity of my own. I was always following recipes. That's all I could do. And I mostly do that now, but I'm, I'm able to kind of branch out and, and understand it better and come up with some of my own ideas, even if it's just improvements to existing things. And where I've really grown is, I've grown in the, I'm thinking of how to say this, I've grown in the ability to see something and recognize how it's done to where I can just take it and do it as opposed to having to study it for 10 or 15 minutes to figure it out. I look at a, recently I did the Infinity Gauntlet design by Dan Staples and I didn't watch his entire video. I skipped here and there. Okay, I know how he's doing that. I know how he's doing that. And then I took and I made it without half a thought as to how I was going to do the different weaves and the twists in it. And I looked at it and honestly, right then I had the moment I have often, which is my goodness, eight, nine years ago, I never would have been able to do this because I was worried about how to handle the basics and I couldn't see the whole for just uh, each little twist and each little step that I had to take in it. Like my nature, I kind of deconstruct what I see. I reverse engineer it in ways and I'm able to build it up with much less thought than I used to have to put into it. That makes sense. It does. And you also have a nice story about how you used the gauntlet for getting some attention of some people. Can you share with us? The yeah. Story? Whenever I go to watch a movie, 
I'd like to make something that's relevant to that movie. And it's always something big. And sometimes I'll make little things for people before the movie, but I always go in with something. When I watched the Lego movie, it was like a four foot version of the main character. When I went to watch the Avengers this last time, it was the Infinity Gauntlet. And I bring it in there. And of course, I strut around and show it off and people are giving me oohs and ahs and some ask for my card. But mainly, I just I want to show it a little bit and I want to give it away to somebody. That's my goal is to give it away. I might do it before I go into the theater. I might do it after I get into there. Sometimes I've waited till the end of the movie. Well, this time I found a girl that I wanted to give it to up near the front. I went up to her, quickly gave it to her, said, here you go, go for the head. And anybody who knows Avengers knows that line. So she grabbed it with a puzzled look on her face and I walked off and I could see her playing with it and showing it off. She's about 10 years old. And then I sat down. I didn't think anything more of it. I'd done what I was there to do. And then this woman comes up to me about five minutes later, showing me my own business card, saying, is that you? Is this who you are? I'm thinking, one, why in the world are you keeping my card on you when you're in a theater somewhere? That's flattering. And two, how in the world did you recognize me? And where'd you come from? I found out she was sitting with that girl. So I'd gone up and given that balloon gauntlet to this girl. And right beside her was somebody I made a balloon for in a bank one time. Wow. Isn't that fun? It is fun. And, and you can think about how that's going to grow your market, how that's got you a customer for life and everything, which, yes, I did think of. But mostly, I was able to take that one balloon creation and highlight two people's lives that night, which was really the reward for me. Yeah. I think it's smart marketing every time that you actually do something with yourself that is not just sitting at home and watching the ones and zeros on the internet, but you actually do something and you get out. I think that's a good idea. But what you did is not just for that, it's also for your soul. You just have something that is special, that makes you who you are, that connects you to people in your community. And the story is, is worth a lot. I agree. It is. It's priceless. Those are the moments that stick with me most. I love getting my customers. I love having gigs to go out to. I'm part-time in the business, so I don't get out as much as the others who make a living off of it. But each one that comes up, the biggest draw for me is that I get to go out and be with the people and enjoy my time with them, as well as the advancing of the business and the money-making that comes with it. I just I love interacting with the people most of all. And... Tell me a little bit about how involved is your family in your balloon hobby and business? The only one who isn't to much extent right now is my wife, and that's because she's too busy with other stuff. My 15-year-old daughter has been helping me for probably four years now. My next son, who's now 11, is just starting to come with me, doing simple things at gigs. And then my three younger sons after him, all the way down to age four, just like to play with the balloons and make stuff or have me make them stuff. My oldest son, he mainly has dollar signs in his eyes, but he also likes being able to do the stuff. So he'll come with me sometimes when I do the few pieces of decor that I like doing, because he's really good at inflating and stacking as opposed to the twisting. But uh, yeah, none of them have any disinterest. Everybody wants to get involved in it, which makes it a lot of fun. It's also cheap labor, which I don't mind. <laughs> It's quality time all over the place. It's just something I think that is very educational as well to work with dad and to help dad and to make maybe a bit of money. At certain ages, they appreciate money too. 
like just the other day, I gave my daughter two and a half bucks for setting up all of my slap bracelets in this case that I have. And she was really excited about getting two and a half bucks and took her, I don't know, 20 minutes. And she, whenever I went to see how she's doing and maybe help her, she would say, no, daddy, it's, it's me, me. Only me, only me. <laughs> and wouldn't accept any help. And then she came over and asked, what can I do? And she's, she's nine. So what can I do to earn 25 bucks? Like she's already studying. That's what all of my boys are like, just like that. Dad, you got new balloons. Can I sort them so I can make some money? Can I clean up your balloon room and you pay me for it? Whatever. They're looking for a way that they can earn the buck. Kids are kids, I guess, uh, everywhere in the world. So tell me a little bit about balloon decor versus twisting. What is your relationship with that? I only do a little bit of it since in the last couple of years, I've advertised that I can do classic stuff, just you know, simple arches and columns. I've got one client who wants me to start doing something a little more ornate every once in a while. And so I work for them maybe two or three times a year. And so because they're a loyal customer, I'm willing to do a little bit extra for them. But Generally, my focus is is on twisting. And yes, simple decor, just getting together quads and stacking them on an arch or on a column or something, it's pretty quick and easy, and it earns good money that way. But honestly, I prefer the twisting side of it because my balloons are ready to go. Whatever I don't use, I can use next time. All my colors are there as opposed to having to plan ahead and figure out what colors I need to use for a column how many I need to get, how much I'm going to have left over and whether I'm ever going to use it again. Those kind of aspects for me are, they're less desirable. I enjoy, I enjoy making a nice display. I enjoy having something there for the people to see. But in my heart, I'm a twister artist, not a, a decor artist. So it's there for everyone. So when somebody wants it, but generally I don't do a lot. It's a little bit like a relationship with balloons as a whole, where the artistic venue that you are mo most experienced in is twisting, but it's like this uncle is coming for a visit from another country and you want to open up your home and give him a place to sleep. Like if someone is asking for balloon decor, it is balloons, you can do it, you can understand the mechanics of doing, of stacking them and making them into something pretty. So you do, even if there's no like huge passion for making those round right. balloons perfect, but I can understand, I can relate to that. You have a condition in your life where you basically cannot tell the differences between certain colors. Right, I have red-green color blindness. So it means that I have to make sure that I arrange my balloons in a certain way, which I could pick whatever pattern I want, but I have to make sure in many ways it's high contrast so that I don't For instance, if I put black next to chocolate brown, I'm constantly picking the wrong thing. That happens to me too. And so what I have to do is make sure I put my chocolate brown and then my mocha and then my black. So even though it doesn't follow a progressive order on the, the color wheel, it sets it up so that I know where to grab. Yeah. And I also have to make sure that the balloons don't mash too much together. One of the products I love in the industry is Ori Livni's Organizer, or Organizer, however he says it. I think that is a fantastic product. I can't use it effectively because when I put items in it, the balloons touch and get together so much that the colors bleed together. And I sometimes have difficulty on, like you say, some of the near colors 
telling things apart. I mean, it's not like I see them black and white. I don't want to give that impression, but sometimes it's hard to tell which color is coming from where. And so I just need to make sure that I set things up so that I get less confused. And I remember we sat down in the jam room one day, I think it was two years ago or so, and we played with colors and I, I like asked you, okay, what is that? What is that? And showed them together. And you really can't tell apart certain differences, which is uh, quite uh, an interesting situation to be in. But then inside a gig, how important is it for you that, that Pluto would be goldenrod or whatnot? A lot of times with uh, certain designs people ask for, I just, I use some of the standard colors. But a lot of times I'll ask for a color or they'll tell me a color and all they'll say is something like, I want pink or blue. And so I grab whichever one is convenient or whichever one I feel like using right then. It's not that big a deal, honestly, in, in terms of whether or not I'm able to tell my colors completely apart when I see them because I'm the one who's creating things. If it were a case of somebody bringing it to me and asking me for a color match, I'd be shot. <laughs> I'd have to be very careful to make sure I got it as, as good as possible. And that's one of the reasons also that I have some difficulty with decor because people come with something in mind. We want these kind of colors. I want a royal blue and this kind of purple and that. And I'm thinking, well, what does it look like? If I look at a picture online and compare it to what I've got, a navy blue versus a, a dark blue may look the same or a navy blue may look black to me or something like that. And I might order the wrong thing and mess up the decorations. And so I frequently, if I have a decoration job that I think I can do and somebody's asking for certain colors, I've reached out to people and said, hey, what color best matches this one? I need somebody with good color vision <laughs> to help me out. And so I use the community to help me with that, which is invaluable. And we do have uh, quite a vivid community with an infinity amount of Facebook groups. It's wonderful. I don't know how I ever would have done this just by myself and with a few books. The, the social community that's grown out. And even since I've been twisting, there wasn't much of it back in 2009 when I started. It was very fledgling. And it wasn't until about maybe 2010, 2011 that it started getting really serious in Facebook and with those groups. And it's just grown like crazy since then. It's my mainstay. I can't get enough of uh, interacting with the others to get ideas and describe and discuss some of my own too. And uh, you've been a frequent visitor for uh, balloon conventions. What do you think about balloon conventions? I've gone to Twist and Shout now for four years and I don't have any plans to stop. That's the only one I go to partly because of my affinity to twisting and that one very much caters to people who are doing twisting balloon art. And because I don't have a lot of money to invest in it since I don't do this as a full-time job. But I think it is absolutely essential for anybody who wants to progress, who wants to advance, not just because of the things they teach you, but because of the people you meet and the interactions you have. I can go to a class and learn some new designs. That's great. But when I meet the people when I jam with them in the jam room, when we go to dinner together, when we just chat, anything like that, ideas flow, little things come, gems come out of the, the conversations that you'd never get otherwise if you just sit at home and try to figure out the next great design. Now, I understand you can't always get to them in your first year or two of doing balloons. I couldn't. It took me probably about five years before I was able to go. 
now that I'm able to go, I, like I said, I don't intend to stop, but I recommend it for everybody who really wants to continue improving and progressing in the business. It really is a live experience that is deep and uh, I dare say even addictive, like there's something very magical. Oh, gracious. Yes, it's addicting. <laughs> yeah. So how about online education? You've been involved in Balloon Artist College and a few of our courses. I'm the kind of guy, if I can find a place to learn it, I'm going to use that place. If it means a local jam, great. If it's a, a Facebook post, a video tutorial, a PDF, or chatting with somebody, I've, I've appreciated what you put into the Balloon Artist College and what I can learn from there. I'm just, I am all for taking any source I can to improve my knowledge and progress. You've been also involved in creating some resources for the industry, for example, you've been quite instrumental in taking a part of creating the Balloon Stock app, which is an app that helps you to create balloon lists and manage your balloon stock. And also these days, you can even create a job cost form through the app. And you've been there helping me create it uh, in all sorts of ways with your skills and your like technical know-how of data, I must admit that the app would have failed without your help. It wouldn't be just even close to what it is without all of your work on making the data just perfect for the app and noticing all sorts of changes that are happening and so on. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. And it's flattering to have you say that. I thank you back. But here's the thing from it is we can contribute without balloons. And I have particular skills in some areas that I've honed professionally for years. And I enjoyed doing that a lot with you because it gave me an opportunity to uh, exercise a part of myself that I don't normally get to do with uh, my balloon business and know that it's going to, one, be of benefit to others, but two, go into, in this case, a product that I really believed in, a product and an effort that I thought was very worthwhile. And so it's nice to be involved with stuff like that. We share a lot of balloon and business tips among the industry, but uh, I think we forget that we have other things that we can do and we can even draw on each other's community to be able to help each other that way. I did a similar thing with another well-known person in the industry who needed some help revamping a website, especially on the end where there was a lot of data to be used to, to do it. And then switching from an old platform to a new, I had knowledge there. I was able to contribute to that. And that person now is able to go forward in, in the way that he needs to. And I was able to give him a helping hand. And that's, that's just as good as me sitting there and teaching somebody how to do a frumple twist in the jam room. It's the same level of satisfaction, only something that I think is a, a bit longer lasting in some ways. Well, I definitely am very grateful. I had this idea when I decided to invest in creating this app, the Bloomstock app, that this would be a really useful tool for not forgetting to buy that yellow 260 bag so that your stock would be in good shape and you'll have everything that you need in order to actually make kids happy when they ask for a specific yellow sword. But with that naive thought back then, it was quite a journey, and I'm actually very proud of this tool up to this day. 
every single course in Balloon Artist College, we create the job cost form through the app that uses the data that you, Mark, helped shape. And these days, like if someone emails me a bag and says, hey, you don't have this specific bag inside the app, I can just press forward to a team member and he will just go in online to our portal, put the data inside, inside the same shape that you've designed. And then the next time that anyone opens up the app, it's updated automatically for them. So we've built it in a way that it could grow and continue to be an asset for the industry. And yeah, thank you so, so much. This was, I don't know, quite a few years ago already by now, like three or so by now, but uh, still quite... uh, Well, it's kind of neat to hear because I I lament every once in a while that I'm not the person who is creating original stuff and putting out tutorials and contributing in that way. But you're reminding me that I've contributed to the industry in a different way that is useful to people, even though it's a bit behind the scenes and incognito, which is no problem for me. It's nice to remember that I don't have to be on the screen showing people how to make a design to be able to make an impact on them. So thanks for that reminder. I think it's important for a lot of us people, like this industry has so many talented people. and Indeed. And it can be overwhelming at a certain point because we see all the Christopher Lyles and all the Dave Brands and I don't know, like Matt Falloon and and Buster Balloon and everyone. And let's not even talk about the Japanese or the Russians. (laughs) You remind me of something that I actually specifically thought of when I set up to talk to you here. And that's, I went through quite a bit of time kind of hero worshiping, if you will, idolizing some people and saying, wow, how can I get my name to be that good? Or how can I follow in the kind of things that they've got? And so I've especially every time I went to a convention and would learn new things, I want to come back and do everything that I've learned and everything just like another person did it that I admired. And it took me quite a few years. I mean, even honestly, until recently to realize I need to figure out who I am and what I want to do as a balloon artist, who I want to be as a personality and be okay with it. You'd mentioned how I when we were chatting before, how I'd been involved in a, a stage show, this twist and shout. It was great fun. I love being on a stage. I, I love being in front of people and making them laugh and uh, enjoy the show. And so I tried for a long time to actually put together a balloon show that I could go and do for people. Like I said, I'm not the highly creative one to where I could come up with something for myself. So I was looking at elements of other people's shows. I was using the services of Danny Schlesinger, who likes to help people improve their shows or even create them. But I had to realize at a certain point, it just, at least not now, it doesn't fit who I am and what I want to do. And I had to realize that it's okay to back away from that. It's okay to be Marvelous Mark instead of Marvelous Mark, just like the guy in the yellow suit, Christopher Lyle. You know, I, I can associate with him. I can learn from him and, and be great friends with him professionally and personally, but I don't have to be him. And it's refreshing to be able to step back and start realizing what I want to be in the industry and not be so frantic about how I can go out and continue growing things, how many new additions I can make to what I offer, but realize 
that I can be comfortable doing what I do. I can relate to that so much. At the beginning, I think this is an experience thing to get to the point where you realize that. At the beginning, I would not be able to look into certain Facebook groups. Just going into them was overwhelming for me hmm. because I kept feeling like this one is better than me, but this one is not, and this one is, and, and like... <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> it creates, just naturally, it creates these feelings that are hard and can be overwhelming, and they can be categorized as all sorts of flavors of jealousy, which is artistically not a bad thing, thing for you to want to grow, to want to improve, and to identify where are the things that you want to grow with and what skills you want to work on. But in terms of productiveness, it's not very productive if it makes you feel bad and then you, you don't really... Well, it's, it's not fair to the other people because it can cause some personal animosity toward them because you're thinking, oh, they're so much better than I am and I've got to make sure that I get up to there. Or... Even the other ones, oh, look at me, I'm better than these others in how I work and stuff. That's not a good attitude to uh, display toward them because it tears them down. And then plus on your side, you may think that going in there and viewing all of this stuff you perceive as better and seeing your own progress against things that you think is less skilled than yours somehow helps you grow and move on and upward. But in my opinion, it honestly stifles you and makes you plateau because you're so worried about overcoming somebody and what they're doing as opposed to making your own personal progress and your own goals that you actually become counterproductive and the funny thing is there's an illusion that you think you're being productive and i think you're totally right and i think it's even an impossible task like literally you will never be able to be as good as every single one of them Christopher Lyle doesn't do what Lily Tan does. And Lily Tan doesn't do what Guido does. And it goes on all levels in between too. So I have colleagues here in sunny Israel where they could do an amazing wall and, or an amazing bubble deliverables. And I would look at both of them and I will say, can I do it or can I not do it? Can I do it as good or can I not do it? But like, at least this was in the beginning of the days. But it's not productive. They practiced specifically those designs and managed to get themselves to the point where they're good at it. They're not as good as me on certain designs that I practiced so much and designed them well. And so it's not really a competition. <laughs> like, not, not a good it's, idea. It's to not. Be. It's also not about the, what we perceive as the quality of the balloon item. One of the classes I went to at Twist and Shout this year I can't remember the, uh, the woman's name. She was one of our Asian teachers. And Ray. Yes, thank you. She taught her class on how to entertain a little bit while doing the balloon making. And she made designs that I sometimes I look at and say, my goodness, that's basic. I could do better than that. That's, but she did it with flair and she did it in a fun way. And I've tried those a couple of times and people love it. A simple flower done in a way that shows off the skill and the entertainment rather than the quality of the structure itself. And I also received a high compliment in the, the last year when I was bemoaning. I hit that point that I think every once in a while we all do of, I don't think I'm getting any better. I'm not sure 
what's happening or if I should go on with this or what my worth is as an artist. And somebody trusted to me, used the words for me saying, you are an amazing artist, which I wanted to immediately say, you got to be smoking something or thinking of someone else because that's not me. But I instead bit my tongue and said, why do you say that? And his response was, I've seen the way you think and how you approach it. So I may not have my own repertoire of designs that I've created. I may not have some of the same flair that some of the other people do, but apparently I have enough of my own skill in it that makes me a great artist in my own right. And it's about who I am rather than about what I produce. And I think that's the key difference. The antidote of jealousy and those type of feelings is actually gratitude. When you acknowledge the things that you have rather than the things that you miss, that's when you heal from those type of feelings. And I think you, Marvelous Spark, have achieved a lot of great moments in your journey of 10 years. And I'm really proud of being there by your side for, for a couple of them at the very least. And I want to say thank you for, for sharing everything, not just here right now in Balloon Artist Podcast, but also on the Facebook groups and on the conventions, on the general room of the Twist and Shout Convention. You are marvelous, Mark. Oh, thank you. And I enjoy, I enjoy being able to, to give and share. So I'm, gl I'm glad that it means something. I think it means a lot to the industry to be what it is. I think we, the people in the industry, the artists, we make it what it is. And there's no manual or book that said, in order to do twisting balloons, you need to be nice to other people. We chose to do that and you chose to be generous. And I think that is a part of the real uh, reason why we call it Balloon Family. And I think that is a journey that is worth having, even if you're not a full-timer, there's nothing nothing wrong with being a part-timer and just having this as, it can be a business, even as a part-timer, it can be a hobby, it can, whatever you call it, whatever it is, if you share the values that we share and you share the passion, then you have a place. And I don't care if I'm a part-timer, a hobbyist, a full-timer, I'll tell you what I don't want to be. I don't want to be stagnant. That's my goal. Yeah. However I adopt this and use it in my life, I just don't want to sit and feel like I'm getting nowhere. I think this is the human race in a way, in the human condition is to find ways to grow and find ways to learn. At least that's what I hope. I think a, a part of human nature is, is that, but there's a big part of it, which is we have a desire to conquer. And that's what we don't want to do as artists. And I think you and I have discussed it a little bit here in this interview. Is that's not the right attitude. The attitude is growth and development not conquering and besting. Yeah, I agree totally. There's so many other things that I wanted to talk about, like your website and the whole process of us walking through the Modern Automated Balloon Business course, secret handshakes and all that, and a little bit more about Balloon Artist College and the super cool balloon jams that you attend. We just don't have time for that. So I will just say thank you, Marvelous Mark, for the opportunity to talk here and now. And just to wrap up, if someone wants to stay in touch with you online or whatnot, how can they learn more about you? 
Well, I have a uh, Facebook business page, Marvelous Mark Balloons. If you want to find me personally, just look in the Balloon Twister Central group on Facebook and you'll see me commenting there. And then if you want, you can find me and friend me online, MarvelousMarkBalloons.com. And works with a C, not with a K or else you're going to miss me. (laughs) So we'll put a link just in case, guys, you can head on to BalloonArtistPodcast.com and find Marvelous Mark's uh, website and all the details there so that you could touch base with him and see where he is in the journey and kind of look at your journey wherever you are right now listening to this. And this is not about looking so that you could think about where are you, are you better or worse, but just notice that this is a journey and we all have our own personal pace and our own personal growth trajectory. And Marvelous Mark is growing so i hope that you go and check him up in any case thank you guys for listening for the balloon artist podcast and we will meet again next week thank you mark bye 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 i hope you enjoyed this interview with mark fakert i think that is awesome if you want to get something really cool as a bonus as a gift uh, you can go to balloonartistpodcast.com and in there there's an option for you to join our email list and today's bonus lecture is about copywriting. I've been getting responses from uh, people that watched this paid lecture and they were getting results right after just watching the lecture. They got better sales, they got people to respond faster. It's really quite amazing what copywriting can do for you too. And just for you guys listening for Balloon Artist Podcast, we've taken that lecture and made it available for you for free. Go to balloonartistpodcast.com and sign up uh, for all specifically in Season 8, Chapter 4. And see you next week on Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Zivi Kivi here, and this is Season 8, Chapter 4, The Tip Section. Remember a few weeks ago, in Episode 1, I told you the story about a content partner that we were working with in Balloon Artist College, and that they didn't understand the rules of the game and of our agreement, and since we didn't document this properly, uh, it ended up really with a mess, and eventually we didn't want to work with them anymore. Uh, There was a lot of anger involved in the situation, and anger is the topic of today's tip. The anger in that case was mostly because the partner was not agreeing to really communicate directly, and he decided to post on Facebook all sorts of pictures from chats with with us. Now, in general, I do want to say, no matter what you do, no matter how angry you are at someone, don't post private conversation because it it makes you look like really just unprofessional and not a very nice human being to 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 do so like to break someone's trust that way what does that says about you and also uh, more on that on this line of thought trying to shame someone online ooh, that's really bad for karma so i want to talk about how you operate when you have anger. When you are angry, you cannot allow yourself to make decisions. 
because every decision you take or any move you do will basically be seen and perceived as an angry move. You will be perceived as unprofessional. You will create just more resistance to you. So what do you do when you are angry? First of all, you need to walk through that. You need to walk through that anger. Uh, there's a tool called the story reframing tool that I use personally. And basically you put yourself into the other person's shoes. You try to understand what was the good reasons that they had. Maybe they were not misbehaving. What was some of the reasons of why they behaved that way? And most importantly, what does that mean about you? What can you take that will be productive instead of destructive? So it took us about less than three weeks to, to get to a situation where instead of losing a content partner uh, because we didn't have an agreement with him to having four new signed agreements with really amazing content partners that are productive and, and original and just fun to work with and they all signed an agreement with us about creating exclusive material for Balloon Artist College. So we are now shifting more and more into the world of having original exclusive content in Balloon Artist College. So we took this, uh, this situation of anger and leveraged that to an opportunity to be better, to just be productive, to just be focused on the positive side of things. Basically, we got lucky that we uh, had an opportunity to be upset, to be angry, to take it internally within the company without uh, responding fast. Remember the tip about blank slating, that's a part of that. But there's a bigger story here about what you do with anger, about how you reframe anger, and also about the people that you keep around you. I really think that the, the, it's true that the five people that are around you, the average quality of, your, of the five uh, people that are mostly around is going to be your quality. So you better make sure that you're surrounded by the right people that will push you to be better. And uh, one, one quick final note, you know, there's so much negativity out there in the world, in the news media, in newspapers, on, on junk radio, or even on Facebook. And it's so easy to, to build this habit of complaining and ranting and being angry. And there's even Facebook groups dedicated for helping you be angry about stuff and complaining and even shaming people. I think that we will all be better off as a balloon family, as a balloon industry, and as human beings if we will ask ourselves from time to time, what can I do right now instead of complaining? For example, why not just do something productive? Why not just build something instead? It's okay to rant and there's a good place for that and, and, and sometimes it's important, but also positivity is going to build your business way, way more than any anger period. And with that said, thank you for listening for Balloon Artist Podcast. And I will see you next week. See you guys. Bye-bye.